Es un gusto estar aquí con ustedes en esta mañana. I'm truly delighted to be here with each and every one of you. And happy Hispanic Latinx Heritage Month to all of you that are celebrating. You should be celebrating us, and we're celebrating. There are 60 million of us in this country alone, and we bring so much value, so much beauty, so much creativity to who this country is, what this country is, and we aren't going anywhere. So I'm so glad that we get to, for a month, uh, get to celebrate that in big and little ways. So thank you for that. Jackie uh, brought me out of retirement. I haven't, as she does, I was talking with Vicky upstairs, and, Jackie's, and Vicky says, when Jackie asks you to do something, you just do it. And so I haven't preached in six years, and so I come here humbly because I didn't know that I would ever do it again. My, my faith and my theology has transformed so deeply over the last few years. And uh, so I'm very glad that it is happening here at Middle because of Jackie. I also wear this suit for typically two occasions, when I officiate weddings and when I go see shows at Carnegie Hall with my wife. <laughs> and so I, don't, I can't remember if ever I have preached in a suit and a tie like this, so I hope you feel special as well <laughs> that that is happening. Um, I hope that this won't be the last time that I speak to you and to be with you in this way, but in case it is, because who knows what my big mouth is going to say, um, I'm going to spend the next few minutes uh, addressing a few things that I think are monumentally important. So in case this is my one at bat, um, I get to say some really special, some big, some really special things, some big ideas that might feel overwhelming. Take heart that they are overwhelming, but we get to do them incrementally and slowly for the rest of our lives. Before I read today's scripture passage to you, uh, allow me to briefly share a little bit more about me. Jackie was so kind with her introduction, but I want to share a bit more because my family is here. Uh, first, my family is here, my life partner, Rebecca, and our three children, Solis, Bell, and Roman. They are here, and they mean the world to me. Um, after living in 10 homes in four different states over the last 12 years, uh, as a family, we moved to New York City a year and a half ago, and we hope this is our forever home. So we're so glad to be here. I am the son of a Guatemalan immigrant, and I have 11 siblings, and my parents are crazy and fantastic, and I love where I've come from and who I've come from, and that is very deeply a part of who I am. I'm a social, uh, social impact entrepreneur and the founder of, as Jackie said, a company, a multifaceted organization called Let's Give a Damn, and we help people in a variety of ways to live more meaningful lives. These labors of love give me so much joy and have sucked every penny out of my bank accounts. But I'm so glad to be building this movement alongside the four people sitting right here with me and hopefully some of you in the future. Let's read our scripture. If you'll listen with me, we are going to read Psalm 37 verses 1 through 9. Don't get upset over evildoers. And don't be jealous of those who do wrong, because they will fade fast, like grass. They will wither like green vegetables. 
Trust God and do good. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. Enjoy God and God will give what your heart asks. Commit your way to God. Trust God and God will act and will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like high noon. Be still before God and wait for God. Don't get upset when someone gets ahead, someone who invents evil schemes. Let go of anger and leave your rage behind. Don't get upset. It will only lead to evil. Evildoers will be eliminated, but those who hope in God will possess the land. And we're going to spend the next few minutes on that last verse. We could obviously spend so much time on the previous nine, on the previous eight, but that last verse, those who hope in God, they will possess the land. The word of God for the people of God. This passage seems important for all of life. Lots of good advice. If you want to live well, do these things. If you want things to go poorly, do these other things. But it also seems important to me to help us process through what kind of vision we share with our children and the children for those who don't have children. All of us are part of the raising up of the children in our generation, right? It seems important, this passage and that verse in particular, for how we share this vision with our children and for the kind of world that we leave them. There are many different ways we could approach today and talk about this passage, but today we're going to focus, as I said on verse 9, evildoers will be eliminated, but those who hope in God, they will possess the land. I love verse 9 in the message translation. It says, before long, the crooks will be bankrupt. God investors will soon own the store. I like the message because it's more how we speak. Like truly, it's witty, it's smart, and I love that picture of those who invest in God's plan, God's vision for the world, they will soon own the store. Now, let me say right off the bat that many have used those types of verses, that the evil will perish, and those who hope in the Lord, they have used those verses to bring about their Christian nationalistic ideas, right? That, that uh, a Christian nation is in our future, that the master plan of this Christian God is to take over everything and then mission accomplished, right? That is very prevalent in our society. Politically, culturally, it's being preached in a thousand, maybe 10,000 churches in this country this morning. And I grew up in that sort of a theology, to be honest. Maybe many of you have as well. Doom and gloom, right? This is all going to burn. The Christian God comes on a horse with a sword, kills everybody, and then we take over. That's the theology that I was force-fed as a child. But as a universalist, as someone who loves the universal Christ, who believes in this fierce love that is everywhere and in all of us, because of that, I believe everybody gets in. So that's the, that's the lens through which I read this scripture passage. I don't know why or how or when exactly, but everybody gets in. Because the universal love of God, the fierce love of God, 
is too great and too powerful to let anyone go. That's what I believe. That's the only way that I can still be in this faith, to be honest, is by believing in a God whose love is that big. So that's how I'm reading this verse, to communicate that when I read this verse, I see that evil will be defeated, love wins, and those who hope in God will possess the land. And since that's everyone, that's really good news, I think. But right now as a society, we as a society and as the church, the capital C church, all who are uh, adhering to and spreading some sort of faith, the collective church, we are failing our children in a myriad of ways. We're going to focus on children today. That's where this is going. I don't want to get too bleak or political right off the bat, but we are running out of time to make our future and our planet better and habitable for our children. It's just the fact. I don't know if it's the next generation or the next one, but we are really screwing them over in the future, right? That's what we're doing. Again, as a church and as society. Democracy is at stake in the coming weeks, right? We have very, again, not too political. We have very big elections coming up. False idols abound. We have multiple billionaires playing a very expensive game of who can get to Mars first, while hundreds of thousands of people are going bankrupt every year in this country alone because they can't pay for those cancer treatments. And Flint, Michigan still doesn't have water. Things are out of balance, right? Again, we are not treating uh, our children appropriately and well. If you don't have children, you're part of this still. We are all taking care of our children. We're all gonna give them something in their life and after we're gone. As a whole, we are thinking and acting and eating and talking and behaving in such short-sighted ways, and that must change. And we, you and I, the kids and adults alike, we are going to be the ones to change that. And thankfully, God is very good and very faithful and full of fierce love that gives us hope to go on. And so we're going to talk about that hope. We're going to wrap up with hope, right? We're, we, we, we did a little up and down there emotionally, some good stuff, some bad stuff. Before we get to the Okay, those who, those who hope in God will possess the land, right? That's a truth that I believe is true. So before we get to the how does that happen, let's talk briefly about the why. I've got two points to share there. Why do we, why do we the, the, the title of this sermon is we labor not for ourselves, but for the future of our children and for the future of the children. That's why we labor. And in, in, in all the ways that we labor, in all the ways that we eat and play and work and live, it's not just for us, it's for them as well. So two points as to why we do that. First, because we all belong to each other. I'm not going to get into the economic state of our country, but the main reason in my mind that capitalism doesn't ultimately work is because it's convinced a whole lot of people that you are the only person that matters in your ecosystem. So run your race and make your money and build your future and any, any and everything that you do doesn't actually affect anyone else. It's just you. But that's not true. Here's what the brilliant Alan Watts, may he rest in peace, said about this. I don't know who I am unless you know who you are. And you don't know who you are unless you know who I am. In other words, we are not separate. We are our environment and all of us and each other are interdependent systems. We know who we are in terms of other people. We all lock together. Mm -hmm. Jackie, 
we lock together. Rod, we lock together. Natalie, we lock together. Rebecca Solis Roman, we lock together. Everyone else whose names I don't know yet, we lock together. Um, that felt very good, but here's some other ones that might rub you the wrong way. Ron DeSantis voters, we lock together. Marjorie Taylor Greene voters, we lock together. My friend who got arrested multiple times on the steps of the Tennessee State Capitol in 2020 during the BLM rallies and who led a group of people who stayed on those steps for 62 days straight, day and night, despite over 200 arrests total, we lock together. Your conservative neighbor who believes women's health decisions are everyone's business, we lock together. Zacchaeus, a man who was universally hated in his community and who Jesus saw something deeper and different and better there. We lock together, Zacchaeus and me. Your Christian nationalist coworker who believes that they're white, six foot two, washboard abs Jesus <laughs> is the only deity that everyone must serve. We all lock together. Right, those hurt a little more, some of those, right? It's easy to say the people in this room. We don't have the luxury of not affecting other people with our lives and actions. What you do will affect my children. What I do affects your children. For decades to come, not just now. The second reason, so the first one is we all lock together. That's why it matters. That's why it matters the planet that we hand our children and their children. The second reason is why we labor is not for our own good, but for the good of, uh, why we labor not for our own good, but for the good of all children is because we are borrowing all of this from them. It's not ours in the first place, right? It's theirs, and someday it won't be theirs either. They'll be passing it on to somebody else. There's this Native American proverb that I love so deeply. It's changed how I do everything. Quote, we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. We didn't inherit anything. Everything that we do, every decision we make is on them in the future. We have so much to learn from our indigenous siblings regarding how to care for the earth, right? Uh, you've been to the grocery store and you've seen the seventh generation brand, right? They make all these cleaning supplies, right? Uh, we're not going to get into whether or not it's right or wrong for a white dude from Vermont named Alan to co-op seventh generation and make a lot of money from it. What we are gonna do though is look at that phrase really briefly, where does that come from? Many of you may know this already because you all uh, seem like the people that would know where the seventh generation concept comes from. It's a thousand years old. In the 1200s when it first surfaced, we have first record of it. It's a principle essentially that every decision we make, whether it's personal, societal, political, we must take into account how it affects seven generations from now. There's no set number as to how long a generation is, but most agree it's 20 to 30 years. So, real quickly, let me ask, are you thinking that way? Just real quick inventory of how you live, eat, drink, work, travel. Are you thinking 140 to 210 years from now, what you're doing, how it's affecting those that will live in that environment? Again, we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We're borrowing it from all these little ones here and everywhere that we go. 
Let me skip a little bit there. I want to stay on task here. Any C.S. Lewis fans in here? Anyone? Okay, I am. There's some problematic stuff in there, but all of us are problematic. I grew up loving C.S. Lewis. I've read over 40 of his books. Love, love, love. Really learned a lot from uh, C.S. Lewis early on. Uh, I know that Tolkien strongly disliked the Chronicles of Narnia, and I know the reasons why, but I love the Chronicles of Narnia. Mainly, they hold a special place in my heart when I read them, how I read them. In there, in The Horse and His Boy, King Loon is talking to his son, Kor. He has twin boys, Kor and Corin. And King Loon is talking to Kor, the oldest son, by 20 minutes about becoming king. And Kor does not want to be king. He wants his twin brother, Corin to be king. Why? Because princes have all the fun. And Kor wanted to stay a prince. King Loon responds to Kor in the following way. Now, I remember reading this for the very first time. 20 years ago, I was sitting on the front porch of my friend's house in the bush of Zambia, Africa, way out in the middle of nowhere. And I, and I only brought the Chronicles of Narnia with me. And I read this passage, and I remember thinking, and you'll hear what I'm gonna say right now, what the quote is, but I remember thinking, this doesn't, at the time I thought, this doesn't just apply to kings. I think this applies to leaders, is what I thought at the time. This is all leaders, it's not just kings. And then as I grew up and matured and developed and changed the way that I think, I now believe that the following, what I'm about to read, describes not only kings or queens or leaders, I think it applies to everyone. Stay-at-home dads, bankers, teachers, doctors, clergy, all of us, I think that this way of thinking, which is how we're going to wrap up here, three points as to how we do this, coming from this passage, I think this applies to everybody. So here's the quote. He's trying to convince his son that, about the task ahead of him. He doesn't have a choice. He has to become king. That's how it works. King Loon says, For this is what it means to be a king, to be first in every desperate attack and last in every desperate retreat. And when there's hunger in the land, as must be now and then in bad years, to wear finer clothing and laugh louder over a scantier meal than every man in your land. Be the first one in, be the last one out, and laugh louder than everyone else. That's what we're going to focus on for the next few minutes as we wrap up here. We talked about the why. It's so important to get the why as to why we're doing this, why we live this way, why we're going to make changes. But here's three ways. You can choose however you want to live your life from here on out. But I think these are three simple ways that you can memorize and, and remember as to everything that I do, I'm going to filter it through these three things. It's time for action. We must act. One of the bigger issues of our day, in my opinion, is that we've convinced ourselves that we are doing something good by doing virtually nothing at all. The next big tragedy happens, right? What is the first thing that most of us do? We go onto Twitter, we share one of the most abominable phrases ever, thoughts and prayers. And we give our take, our hot take, our whatever, whether it's political or weather or whatever. The next big thing that happens, that's how, and society has convinced us that that's an okay way to live, to not really do anything, but to just go on there and tweet thoughts and prayers. I love uh, the song Walking in the Snow by Run the Jewels. 
I can't share all the lyrics here, and if you've heard it, you know why. It's not really PG, but it's an amazing song, and if you've listened to it, you know that. But here's some of the lyrics that Killer Mike shares. And every day on the evening news, they feed you fear for free. And you so numb, you watch the cops choke out a man like me. Until my voice goes from a shriek to a whisper, I can't breathe. And you sit there in your house on couch and watch it on TV. The most you gives a Twitter rant and call it a tragedy. But truly the, trage the travesty, you've been robbed of your empathy. Just in the past few weeks, there have been multiple unprecedented weather events. We have people in our very own country. We're not going to talk about Pakistan. We're not going to talk about uh, Puerto Rico. We're talking about right here. We have hundreds of people dead, tens of thousands of people affected by a weather event that is directly connected to where we have put the climate. There have been these weather events. Untold amounts of money and damage. In November, decency and love and inclusivity and diversity and women's rights and human rights are on the ballot. It's time for action. Less tweeting, more action. Less thoughts and prayers, more action. And lastly, uh, or no, second, sorry, I will hurry up here. <laughs> Be the last one out. So that's, that is first one in, right? Fewer Twitter rants, more action, first one in. When something happens, we are ready to go. That takes preparedness. We gotta prepare ourselves mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally. When things happen, we're ready to go. Be the last one out. That requires, it's harder. It requires resilience. It requires steadfastness. It requires strength given to us by God. Anyone can start a race. Not many finish them. Especially uh, I think of this, this guy that I admire so much. His name is Jesse Eitzler. He is an uh, entrepreneur, but he, he has put his body through so many rigorous, like so much rigorous training to the point where he's run many 100-mile races. Takes a whole day. And he has this whole team that kind of documents it along the way. And so I watch it on Instagram, right? There's like 100 Instagram stories throughout the day. And I watch as the day progresses, right? He's 10 miles in 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, and it's getting dark now. It's 18, 19 hours in. And he sits down for a rest. And you could see that his body, if he sits there for 10 seconds longer, it's literally shutting down. And he gets back up, legs shaking, can't even eat or drink anything, and he keeps stumbling along until he hits this 100 miles, somewhere around the 24-hour mark. Anyone can start a race. Not many finish this hard race called life that we have been given. But those who hope in the Lord, they will possess the land. And so the last way that we do this, the last how is laughing the loudest. First in, pretty easy in the grand scheme of things. Anybody can get up and get into battle, right? Get into the fight of what we're going through right now. Last one out, harder but easier in my view, from what I've experienced in my short 39 years on this planet so far, laughing the loudest in the midst of all of this, when things are hard, when there's no food to eat, when we don't even see a solution to, I mean, it looks bleak when you look at our climate crisis, right? Like, what can we do at this point? We know there are things to do, but it feels so big and so overwhelming to think about what we can do and to really grab onto hope. But Jesus himself said 
in Matthew 5. I'm, again, I'm going to go to the message real quickly. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. One of my favorite scenes from A Christmas Carol is when Scrooge and the ghost of Christmas past peek in the window at Bob Cratchit's house. Bob, who is underpaid, overworked, has a real sick kid at home, but still shows up to work every day, doing his job, working for the worst of the worst boss. And in these dreams, Christmas past takes him to the window, peeks in, probably expecting to find I don't know, doom and gloom, and I'm sad, I don't have money, it's Christmas, what are we going to do? And instead, they find them so happy, dining on a very meager meal. Herman Melville says, I know not all that may be coming, but what be it will, but be it what it will, I'll go to it laughing. Be the first one in, be the last one out, laugh the loudest for the sake of our children so that we can give them a much better world. These past few years, friends, the past couple ones, are you tired? Anyone tired here? Anyone exhausted, worried, anxious? And I've just given you much more to be anxious about. But hopefully some solutions as well. If you're any of those things I just mentioned, God knows, God sees, and God will carry you through. The last thing I want is for you to leave here feeling guilty and heavier. We've got to do more for the children. We've, we do. We do have to do more for the children. But you've got to figure out. Now the homework, if I can give you some homework, is to leave here and ask the universal love of Christ. Ask the heavens, what, what am I supposed to do? What's my thing? What are my things? What are the changes I can make? So that we as middle, we as New York City, we as a country, what can we pass down to our kids? Here's how I want to end this. Imagine for a second, you're in a Game of Thrones type environment. We are preparing for a battle, the battle we've just described for the future of our children. Each one of you, imagine you have your favorite beverage in your hand, whatever that is. Imagine it. Start raising it up a little bit. You've got your favorite beverage right now, everybody. We're preparing to go into battle, and we're toasting before the battle begins, not after the battle ends, like you usually would toast. We're toasting before it begins. And so the toast is, ready? for God and for all the children, right? Can you do that with me as you raise your imaginary favorite beverage? Ready? For God and for all the children. Amen. God bless you.